Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Ten oh three. Good morning. Welcome back in. It's hit and run on Chicago Sports Radio. Six seventy the score. Six seventy the score dot com. Matt Spiegel's out and about. He's touring the country of Ireland as we speak. So instead, you have me, Nick Shapkowski, with you up until twelve forty five today. We're live at Smoke Daddy, right across the street from Wrigley Field, thirty six thirty six North Clark Street. Celebrating the day, celebrating Hall of Fame weekend in our own little way right here. It's all brought to you by Xfinity, the official Wi-Fi of Wrigley Field. And for more on that Hall of Fame class and for the pomp and circumstance that goes along with it, we go out to the hotline and back out to Cooperstown, New York. That's where we find Paul Sullivan from the Chicago Tribune, kind enough to give us a few of his minutes here this morning. Good morning, Paul. How's Cooperstown? Uh, Crazy. Very Crazy. Crazy. Pete Rose uh, pitching to, to get in anywhere? You run into him yet? I haven't, but I did go out to get some coffee like at uh, 7.30, and uh, they were already uh, announcing that he was on his way to sign autographs and balls. And I mean, he, he is the big attraction here, but, uh, you know, it's it's like anyone in the world can open a booth. And uh, I was it was funny to see a uh, Pete Lecoq booth this morning. He's signing autographs here, too. Yeah, anybody that put on a baseball uniform and played for one of these 30 big league teams, I'm sure someone in attendance will want an autograph and a memory from each of them. You touched on that a little bit in your piece today about the what Cooperstown does that the rest of baseball doesn't do so well. We'll get to that in just a minute. But when I ask you or tell you or just say the names to you of Lee Smith and Harold Baines, what first comes to mind? Uh, forgotten. Almost, uh, you know, I mean, they both run the writer's ballots and uh, uh, Harold was off in, I don't know, four or five years and uh, didn't get hardly any votes. And, um, you know, Lee was on for the whole term, but uh, he never, you know, came close to getting in. So it's kind of vindication for them because uh, this definitely is, a, you know, a rebuke of the writer's ballots by uh, getting both of them in. I voted for both of them, so. I don't feel bad about it, but, uh, there, you know, there's always going to be people, you know, wondering, well, you know, if they weren't good enough for such and such years, why are they good enough now? But, you know, that's the way it is with, uh, these hall of fame things. And looking at it and voting for guys, not voting for guys, Mariano Rivera goes in today, first player ever to get 100% of the vote. Would you have thought it would have got that honor or privilege, whatever you want to describe it as? Would you have thought that it would have gone to someone else over the years, or is he kind of the perfect fit to get to, to, to be number one at least to accomplish that? Yeah, no, there, it should have been done long ago. I mean, ridiculous that uh, guys like Babe Ruth and Joe DiMaggio didn't get 100%. Uh, I mean, you could go on and on. There are you know, plenty of guys, uh, Griffey, Greg Maddox, but you know, that's why a lot of people don't like the writers because stuff like that. I mean, there's really no accounting for, you know, except that maybe uh, a writer got stiffed at some point by uh, Babe Ruth or 
or something. You, you know, you, you never know. But um, certainly, I, you know, it's a great Hall of Fame, and I, I enjoy coming here and all the things that go with it. But, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it, it is kind of, you know, anachronistic. Yeah, that's what we call a little bit of self-awareness there on your behalf of the baseball writers. You mentioned in your piece today that's in the Tribune that Cooperstown, that that baseball as a whole could take a lesson from Cooperstown and just the way that it sells the game, sells the history of the game. And you mentioned it even when you started this. Pete LeCock having an autograph booth in Cooperstown today of all people to have one and people lining up to get an autograph from him. What is it specifically that they do so much differently that makes it come off as better than kind of the best the, the rest of baseball in branding their game? Well, basically, they're just selling nostalgia, I think. And, uh, you know, people, to me, love to think about baseball in nostalgic terms because it reminds them of, you know, when they were younger and, you know, life was a lot easier for them, as it always is for people that get old, uh, you know, no matter what generation you are. And uh, it's just... You know, and it has the small town thing too going. It's kind of like, uh, you know, kind of going up to Wisconsin, Lake Geneva, Door County, something. It's very beautiful, picturesque area. Um, but I think that just the whole baseball vibe, they do a little parade and stuff. It, it's just uh, very quaint and old fashioned. And uh, I think baseball today uh, just, you know, they just can't uh, relate to the younger generation. So they keep changing the rules and, juicing the ball and uh you know it's just changing too much and i think cooperstown reminds people of you know when it seemed like nothing ever changed although obviously it did but it just seems that way now yeah and i take it kind of from what you're saying there in terms of the juice ball and home runs flying out at a ridiculous rate this year that you're kind of on board with me that you're not it might be more exciting for the masses but for you a baseball fan for your life, it's not the best thing for the game to see the ball flying out like it is now? Well, you know, it's one thing if they were flying out and they were also, you know, hitting doubles and triples and singles, uh, but it just seems like it's always strikeout, home run, walk, you know, strikeout, home run, walk. So, um, and nothing against Tommy LaStella. He was a fine player, but, you know, when he's hitting all these home runs, it's just a little bit ridiculous. And the one thing about the rules changes that bothers me is stuff like they're talking about putting in the uh, rule next year where a, a relief pitcher has to face three batters. You know, I mean, you could throw 12 straight pitches, you know, 10 feet out of the strike zone, but you still have to stay in the game because that's the rule. I mean, stuff like that to me is it's just unnecessary and it's uh, it's hurting the game. Yeah, and I just don't like the idea also of, all right, baseball's been played this way for 100 years, 130 years, whatever it's been, and there's a different philosophy and a different change of how bullpens are used and relievers are changed. Why should managers, why should GMs and executives that piece teams together this way be punished for rules that have been in place for 120, 130-plus years? Exactly. I mean, like the shift. Uh, you know, they act like no one's ever done the shift before, but uh, I believe Lou Boudreaux was doing the shift as a manager back with uh, the Indians back in the 40s against Ted Williams. So um, it's nothing new. It's just that, you know, one team had success doing it. I think actually Madden was one of the first uh, pioneers of that uh, back in Tampa. And now, you know, everyone's doing it. And I, you know, do I like it? You know, it's it certainly takes away a lot of hits, but, uh, you know, hey, it's strategy, and I don't think you should mess with strategy. Uh, you know, they're talking about changing it so 
fielders can only play and, you know, can only go a certain way before a pitch. And, and I think that's just wrong. It's Paul Sullivan from the Chicago Tribune. He's out in Cooperstown covering the speeches and the ceremony this afternoon as Lee Smith and Harold Baines, two guys with Chicago connections, go into the hall. Who else in this class? Like, is there one of the players in the class that didn't have the Chicago connection that you have any especially fond memories of covering or something special that they accomplished in one of the games that you covered? Uh, not really. I mean, uh, I, I was there when Musina signed his first contract with the Orioles. He did it in the Comiskey Park Clubhouse, so I kind of saw that. That was kind of cool. But I don't have any relationship with him or Rivera, certainly, you know, the greatest of all time. Um, not, you know, Halliday, uh, I, I watched him pitch. I really enjoyed him because he was one of the last guys that would throw a complete, or at least go out and set out to throw a complete game every time, which obviously no one does anymore and uh who am i missing there oh uh uh edgar you know great hitter but uh doesn't really excite me so i'm more interested <laughs> in uh lee and uh you know harold because i you know having covered harold i'm very very happy for him he's one, one of the great guys in the game and uh, you could see last night all of his old teammates coming to the Sox party to see him it was very uh very touching and also lee smith i didn't really cover him a whole lot but you know uh, he was a great cub and uh certainly deserving of this yeah i saw your piece as well today kind of writing up about harold and about lee i wasn't aware that lee smith was that notoriously known as being a sleeper in the clubhouse i've heard stories (laughs) of plenty of other guys but apparently in a hall of fame of his own in that too yeah you know i i tried to find a different angle because i mean how much more can you talk about uh, the closer thing but uh you know he was always known as a guy that every player you talk to that played with him oh yeah lee was sleeping in the clubhouse they had to wake him up he came in got the save you know a three inning save at that as as chris Kampka, you know just told you the guy didn't just come in and throw you know 10 pitches he, he was out there 30 40 pitches sometimes uh so yeah, it wasn't he, the Araldis chapman give me a clean no, inning give me one clean inning not. thing so, yeah, if you're going by Araldus standards, you know, it, he was not one of the all-time greatest. But for his era, he was. And, uh, you know, he was he was more than willing to talk about his napping. And he said he, he went to sleep on the clubhouse floor at Old County Stadium in Milwaukee. And guys would just step over. I mean, he was like, wow, I, I can't even imagine being that tired that I could sleep with people walking over here. It's just it's, it's really impressive. Yeah, As a guy who likes good naps like me, you know, I'm very right. much a nap guy in my old age. And, uh, you know, when you're young, you think it's, you know, you take a, a, a drunk nap. But now that you're older, you take a real nap. You really can see how it's refreshing. And Lee Smith told us that, uh, yes, it did help his career. Well, it worked out for him. He's in Cooperstown, and we're just sitting here talking about him instead. Appreciate you taking the time today, Paul. We'll let you get back to the festivities. I know it's a busy day out there, but appreciate you picking up the phone this morning. Thanks, Nick. Paul Sullivan, thank you. He joined us on the Alpamani Ford Hotline, Alpamani Ford, 500 new and used vehicles to choose from. Yeah, if you didn't see his piece in the Chicago Tribune today, wrote up the part on kind of how Cooperstown just sells the absolute life out of baseball and the nostalgia around baseball and that. And it's kind of one of those things of, all right, baseball does have that going for it compared to other sports. When you think of why kids in Chicago 
or in Chicago land grow up and they love football or love basketball or love the NBA or love the NFL, is it because of Michael Jordan? Well, yeah, if you're 33 years old like me and you grew up watching Jordan play, that's one thing. But you think that 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds now really cared about Michael Jordan and his history? No, not so much. I think that they like the current guys, the LeBron Jameses and everyone else across the league. Same thing with football. Are kids diehard Bears fans because they grew up reading books about Walter Payton? Like 12-year-olds right now? Like, oh my goodness, that guy was one of the greatest football players and greatest running backs of all time. I'm going to love the Bears because of that. No, it's because that the local ties and... And how much they enjoy watching the product on the field each and every Sunday. They sell the current game, and baseball doesn't do as good a job of that. I do think that there was one thing this week, though, that would help sell the game on that front. It's going to take a time out, but if you missed it, Aaron Boone from the New York Yankees, manager of the New York Yankees, had quite the episode, quite the flare-up in a doubleheader the other day against the Tampa Bay Rays. Won't so much share that with you because the audio is a lot unusable, but I think that it is kind of your center point of, all right, you want to sell the games to a next generation and that part of it and, and, and sell it to a younger crowd, this is the exact kind of thing that you'll need. I'll share that with you, what was said in it next, and how you kind of fix it. It's Nick Shepkowski in for Matt Spiegel on Hit and Run on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning. Welcome back in. Hit and run. Nick Shepkowski in for Matt Spiegel today on 670 The Score. 670thescore.com is what you've got. Talking baseball with you. We're out at Smoke Daddy, 3636 North Clark Street. Just across the street from oh, a place called Wrigley Field. So if you're coming down to Wrigley today to see the Cubs hopefully sweep the San Diego Padres, stop on by before the game. Enjoy some of the great food here at Smoke Daddy as they've treated us to breakfast and that was nothing short of exceptional so big thank you to them for that as a great place for the game can't get any closer to the park without pretty much being in it as well and it's all brought to you today by Xfinity the exclusive Wi-Fi provider of Wrigley Field fans can access the expanded Wi-Fi service powered by Xfinity throughout the ballpark in Gallagher Way using the network labeled Xfinity at Wrigley, Wrigley Field. Now the Wrigley, or Wrigley Field friendly confines. Now the Wi-Fi friendly confines in stadium Wi-Fi from Xfinity, the exclusive Wi-Fi provider of Wrigley Field. It's Nick Shopkowski with you. Hit and run is what's on. 670 The Score, 670thescore.com is what you're listening to. And I mentioned it there with Paul Sullivan a little bit and going into break. And selling baseball in this, oh, how do you get more people interested and how do you sell the game and the interesting part of that. And it's not the reason that the NFL is the most popular sport in 
the world, or at least in the United States, I should say, right now, with, with obviously soccer being worldwide more popular. But why is it so popular in the United States? Why is it turned into the most popular sport in the United States? Sure, playing one game a week makes it a lot easier to track your team, track your favorite players, and know what they did. The You don't have to watch six days or seven days a week in order to understand and have a good feel of everything that's going on with your club or with your team. So that part obviously works in its favor and works in its way as well. But one of the things I think that it, the NFL was very much first to do to help sell the product, heck, back 30, 40, hell, 50 years ago when they were micing guys up during the very early Super Bowls and having some of the great sound bites and all of that was their NFL Films team. And you look back on the, oh, what was it, the, the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl when they beat, in Super Bowl four when they beat the Minnesota Vikings, and you're hearing the the coach, Hank Stram, being mic'd up in that, and it's, ah, 65 toss power trap, da-da-da-da-da. In everything, and that's that's how long the NFL had been doing it. And then the NBA doesn't do it so much in-game as it does during timeouts. You get a peek inside the huddles, and you hear some of the things discussed in the huddles and that part of it now. But I think they sell that extremely well. One thing baseball doesn't do, at least in terms of regular season games, is have their players mic'd up, is have their players getting giving you a little bit of a background or a, a, a peek behind the curtain in terms of selling themselves. And I thought baseball did a great job. They've done it here the last couple of All-Star games now. But this past All-Star game, just over a week, a week and a half ago, when it was Freddie Freeman stepping to the plate for, I think it was his first at-bat of the game, and he's got an earpiece in, he's got a microphone attached to him, and he's literally, while being pitched to from Justin Verlander, he's getting interviewed. And he participates with it, and sure, you couldn't ever do that probably during a regular season game because Freeman ends up striking out. You can tell he's clearly distracted. But it was an interesting part and a fun way to kind of sell the game there. I think that the the way of having players at least be mic'd up during the game is a great way to kind of get the behind-the-scenes look and the more the look that a younger generation is looking for. They're not just looking for, oh, an exciting play. You can find an exciting play no matter what sport it is, no matter how big of a fan of a sport you are. You want an exciting play, you can be not at all a soccer fan. And a couple of weeks ago during the Women's World Cup, see plenty of highlights and think, oh, my God, that was exciting stuff. i got to watch more of that. And then you watch a game and you realize, oh, yeah, well, those were the highlights. And there's a lot of other just kind of the ball getting kicked around the, the field without much happening that goes into it, too. But they did a tremendous job of kind of packaging that and selling that. Baseball, I think that that's one of the things that it can take a huge step forward in. It's done a great job, obviously. It was one of the first of the major sports to to get in on this advanced media, and MLB advanced media, and the millions upon millions of dollars that have come in for each ball club based off of that, and the revenue sharing with the clubs that have gone on with that. But in terms of actually growing its brand and for the next generation... I think that that's one of your key things. I bring that up because earlier this week, Aaron Boone on getaway day, there was a doubleheader with the Yankees and the Rays earlier this week. And Aaron Boone, you might remember him, hit the big home run in 2003 that sent the Yankees to the World Series in the ALCS over the Red Sox. Eventually retired from baseball, spent a year or two in the Sunday night baseball booth where he offered less than nothing for the most part in terms of 
baseball expertise and you didn't take anything from his broadcast like he's going to be a good manager oh yeah he's the he's the guy that's going to succeed managing a baseball club but so far he's had things and done things pretty well with the Yankees he's mic'd up for the game the other not even mic'd up necessarily so much for the other day but what happened was it was a doubleheader in the first game of the doubleheader the day-night doubleheader very very small attendance at Yankee Stadium very poor showing, I would say, by Yankees fans. Sure, it's a doubleheader, and it's a non-originally scheduled day, so it's tough to get to, and all the excuses you can throw out. fact of the matter is, there weren't many bodies in the stands that day. And the field mics that are usually there to pick up the sound effects of the glove popping when it catches the ball, or the bat hitting the ball, or players kind of chatting it up on the infield, whatever it might be, those were instead picking up clear as day Aaron Boone, arguing with the home plate umpire over balls and strike calls. And he comes out after Brett Gardner had been running up on a strike three. He yells at the ump a couple of times, and then eventually he doesn't like one of the calls, one of the strike calls on the following batter. And he comes out, and it's about as graphic as graphic gets. I would have our guy Zach Withers back at the shop play this, but it doesn't even make sense to play it because every other word's the F word and would be beeped out, and you'd listen to it for a good minute, minute and a half, and you'd hear nothing besides beeps, and you'd be like, what did I just listen to? Pretty much he just says, not just says, he screams this in the umpire's face, you're having a piece of bleep game, I feel bad for you, be bleeping better. And he's, I'm saying this much in a much nicer tone than he is. He calls his guys bleeping savages in the box, repeats himself about them being savages, all this very animated in the face for a good uh, 60 to 90 seconds or so, and you get that part of the game. I remember when Terry Collins did it a couple of years ago when the Royals and the Mets played, or uh, not the Royals and the Mets, the Mets and the Dodgers played the first time after Chase Utley took out the shortstop on the Mets in the NLDS in 2015. In the 2016 season, Collins was mic'd up, and Noah Syndergaard was pitching. He threw a pitch, and it was right at the backside. Actually, it went behind the batter on the Dodgers was immediately ejected, and Terry Collins just went to town on the home plate umpire that, that ejected Syndergaard, saying, we got to bleep, bleep and do this, we got to protect our guys, that was coming, you know it, you can't throw us out. And it was animated as all get up, it made its rounds all across the internet, all across sports radio programs, and it was interesting, it was compelling. But that's the one sport, baseball, that you next to never get that from. And I thought the All-Star game, when Freddie Freeman's getting interviewed, was kind of cool and different. And I'm not saying go interview players during the game, but why can't you have more of that? Like in the World Series when they won in 2016, a couple of the favorite sound bites that people had throughout that run were Anthony Rizzo in the dugout during Game 7 telling David Ross how nervous he was, how he's in that glass case of emotion, and he's quoting Anchorman during Game 7 of the World Series when the Cubs are trying to end a 108-year drought of winning the World Series. That was awesome to see. That was cool to see. All right, there's the old vet talking to the young enough guy that's in his first World Series and in his first ever Game 7 winner-go-home-take-all, winner-take-all situation and talking through the moment and talking through that and showing a little bit of personality while doing so, like more of that. Why does that only if it's a national game? Why is that only if it's Sunday night baseball that you kind of get to see the peek behind the curtain and in that look? Why can't that be something that's done more during your regular Tuesday night contest between the Cubs and the Reds? 
or the White Sox and the whoever it might be, the Tigers or Twins or whoever. Like, why can't that be more of a normal thing? You want to sell this game to the youth. It's not just the game. There's plenty of exciting sports that are out there and interesting sports that are out there. Selling personalities and selling that side of it, the behind-the-scenes kind of thing of it, goes a long way in doing so, too. And I would like to see baseball do more of that. I think it was a couple of years ago they had Mookie Betts. Um, the Cubs and Red Sox were playing in a spring training game since they've started that series. Um, and Mookie Betts was mic'd up in right field. And again, I'm not saying you have to have him being interviewed during an actual regular season game, but it was awesome to kind of see him talking with the guys, talking with the broadcasters, and then a ball's hit his way. He's like, oh, got to go. And he tries to run down the ball and ultimately doesn't. But just kind of, it, it, it's something that baseball, as well as it sells its history, and as well as it sells the old days and that part of things, it does a horrific job of kind of making it interesting in terms of today's players. I think that one of the things that also that it should be selling is the stars and the exciting players that it definitely has in it. One of them being right here in this very town, right in this very neighborhood, actually, at Wrigley Field. And he had a heck of the day yesterday, and I'm talking about Javier Baez. Javier Baez is, is he the best player in the game? No, not really particularly even close. Is he the most exciting player in the game? If he's not, he's on a list of about only two or three other guys, and I think yesterday was a perfect example of that. Hits the go-ahead home run and hits it a damn mile into the left field stands yesterday to put the Cubs up 6-4, to four. and that's exciting, and people love home runs, and that's great and all, but even beyond that, the play that he made in the ninth inning, we spent part of the first hour discussing the Padres and their odd, strange ways, the way that they kind of tried to attack the the ninth inning yesterday, but after Fernando Tatis had sacrificed himself, not even sacrificed himself, he, he laid down the bunt that got caught by David Bodie, and the runner wasn't even actually able to advance in that case. So it left instead the Padres batting with one out and one guy on first base, and they tried to get the steal, and on a high pitch that's thrown out of the zone, it looked like the Cubs were going to have no chance of throwing out the would-be base runner, or the, the base runner. And instead, Victor Caratini's throw, he gets credited with the caught stealing, gets credited with the out, because Baez catches the ball, is looking at Caratini, doesn't turn his head the entire time, gives a blind tag and gets the foot or the back of the foot of, of Will Myers. And instead of it being a stolen base and the tying run being on second base, Baez makes the ridiculous tag, something that he's kind of trademarked in this game. Tags were, when, when, when were tags ever exciting before Javier Baez? When was that ever something that, like, belonged on a highlight? Oh, yeah, I like the way he tags. You never said that three or four years ago. That was never a thing. And I think that doing that and having players like that and not just having players like it, there's been exciting players for as long as this game's been played, but finding the way to market that is is an important part of how you kind of grow the game to the next generation as well. Because at some point, it's going to be that next generation takes over and they're the ones buying tickets and spending their money, and that's when it catches up. Not so much now because the TV contracts are huge and there's nothing to worry about. It's about keeping those TV contracts being huge so there's the same kind of money going in and teams making the same kind of money that they are now 10, 15, 20 years from now. But Javier Baez yesterday... I want to throw some flowers his way or throw some rose petals his way because he's a guy that's been struggling a bit here. And, yes, he has had a great year again. I mean, you sort it by 
war in the National League, and he's a top 10, top 15 player. Chris Bryant having a better year, the only Cub that comes in, at least by that metric, of having a better year than Baez in terms of position players. But he's not like never going to be a high on base guy, sitting 324 on base right now. His strikeouts are the highest in the league, so that's been a little bit of a, a regression there, it feels like. 118 strikeouts. Heck, last year he struck out all of 167 times. Looks like he's going to fly by that this season. But his OPS is right on par with what it was a season ago. His slugging is right on par with what it was a season ago. 24 home runs through 96 games for him. Looks like he's going to hit more home runs than the 34 that he hit a season ago. Guy's having a monster season. But he had been struggling and hadn't been playing his best baseball. Yesterday, a huge turn in the right direction for Baez, whether it was the home run that put the Cubs in front, whether it was the tag there as well. And that's just kind of what you needed to see from what has become not necessarily your biggest star, but definitely your most exciting of players and a guy that kind of, I don't want to call him the heartbeat of this Cubs team. I think that's overstepping it, and I think that's overselling it quite a bit. But he's definitely, when he's going, the Cubs are usually going and he hadn't been going here of late had fallen on a little bit of hard times offensively power wise especially until the last two days where he's hit home runs against the Padres he had gone previous to Friday's home run he had gone since July 3rd two weeks since the last home run he hit and I know the all-star breaks in there but that's a good 10 game run with him out without him hitting the ball out of the park we have to pause for a timeout 312-644-6767 is your number to call text messages as well 67011 it was a great showing by Javier Baez yesterday not like his best game of all time but it was a damn exciting one and a great performance by him it wasn't so much a great day for another Cub. One of the worst days you're ever going to have for a ball player at the park. We'll discuss that next. It's Nick Shepkowski in for Matt Spiegel. Who's vacationing? I'm at Smoke Daddy. We're looking right into Gallagher Way. If you're coming down to the ballpark today, stop on by. Say hello as we're here up until 1245. That's when Zach Zaidman's pregame show gets going here on the score. Zach's going to be here broadcasting live as well. That's all to come here afternoon. Coming up next, though. Who had an awful day for the Cubs and just how bad was it? We discuss it next on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Here's a pop-up. Now Russell battling a tough son, and he drops the ball. Going for two and safe is Margot. Russell lost the ball in the sun, tried to backpedal and make the catch, could not make the play. And the Padres will have a man at second. That's going to be ruled a double. A ball lost in the sun by Addison Russell. how you heard it yesterday right here on 670 the score pat hughes on the call as he is for just about every cubs home regular season game just about every cubs regular season game that's just home or away as you heard it addison russell losing the ball in the sun and allowing the padre to have a double the softest hit double probably of that young padre's career and maybe the softest hit double that he's ever going to have in his career Welcome back in. It's Hit and Run with you, 670 The Score, 670thescore.com. Nick Shepkowski in for a vacationing Matt Spiegel. He's touring the country of 
Ireland right now. So you're stuck with me up until 1245 today as we talk baseball all up until then. Coming up at noon today, we're going to speak with Bruce Levine. He's actually going to join us here. Where is here? Smoke Daddy, 3636 North Clark Street. Broadcasting here live before Cubs baseball today. I'm on until 1245. Then Zach Zaidman with the pregame show ahead of Cubs and Padres as Zach's going to be here as well. Cubs looking for a sweep today and looking to make it an 8-1 and homestand right out of the All-Star break. Our broadcast here at Smoke Daddy, 3636 North Clark. It's all brought to you by Xfinity, the exclusive Wi-Fi provider of Wrigley Field. But Addison Russell, it would be one thing if it was one ball that was being lost in the sun and having a mistake there and having an error there, even if he wasn't necessarily charged with an error. It wasn't the best performance and it wasn't the best effort and getting the sun blocked out with his glove and making a play on that ball. Unfortunately for Addison Russell, it didn't just stop there. To call the afternoon Addison Russell had yesterday at Wrigley Field tough would be pretty kind. In fact, it would probably be an understatement. What all did Addison Russell do that went wrong or went off the rails? Zach Withers, our producer, put down, put together this little montage of the miscues that were Addison Russell Saturday afternoon at Wrigley Field. To Renfro, throw to second, out to get two to Mark. Go is popped up. Russell battling the sun, he can't find it, and at the last second he had it, but could not haul it in. On the ground, Machado will fire home. Out. Nice play by. That goes flying into the dugout. On strike three. Popped him up. Ball. And the ball ended up falling, and Madison Russell, another misplay in the field. So in case you were listening there, and those highlights courtesy of ABC7's what the Cubs game was on yesterday, add them all up, loses the ball in the sun, results in a double. He gets doubled up. On a line drive and thrown out, or on a line drive to left field and thrown out at second base while representing an important run, gets gunned down at the plate while trying to score on a ground ball that was hit directly at Manny Machado. Um, gets strikes out swinging in one of his at bats. Throws the bat like we've seen, so often seen him do in his career. Something that's for whatever reason been an issue for him holding on to the bat when he makes a swing. It was again yesterday as he strikes out and sends the sends the bat sailing into the stands and then drops another pop-up, loses another pop-up in the sun there. I'm not doubting it's hard to see the ball in especially that right side of the infield or right field. You saw it yesterday with the right fielder with the Padres misplay a ball that landed on the warning track, losing it in the sun. Like there's some there's some things that are excusable and they just kind of happen. But when those happen, it's anyone that's played baseball will tell you it's about not letting the next one happen or any sport for that matter. It's all right. Well, don't let that affect your next time. If you're a basketball player, don't let that turnover or bad pass affect the next time you bring the ball up court, whatever it is. Or if you're a quarterback, erase the interception and, and don't let it create problems in your head so you go and make another bad throw or bad mistake. Russell didn't do that yesterday. He did not rebound from the adversity whatsoever of originally dropping a ball in the sun. Mistakes on the base pass multiple times. 
um, horrible at bat in his at bat where he did strike out in that case. With multiple drops and multiple lost balls in the out er, in the sun, getting double up on the base paths, two outs on the base paths that he made there in and of himself, and that's probably about as bad a game as Russell has ever had in his major league career. And usually Joe Madden's willing to jump on a grenade for his team, for his players, and that's why guys love playing for him. Is that if there's criticism going a player's way, Madden's usually willing to to jump out in front and take the blame for something or at least offer up a reason of why things went south. Joe Madden was asked about Russell's performance after the game yesterday to say that he was willing to jump on her grenade. Uh, not so much. Did you chalk up the day that Madison had just one of those days, a couple things on the bases, the pop-up and so forth? Just... No, he's got to straighten some things out. He has to. There's no question. He does. I'm not going to stand here. Uh, we've, you know, he's got to, uh, we've talked about his base running in the past. The sun ball, yeah, that's, there's, there's nothing you can do about that. The base running, there's some things there that we, we're making too many outs on the bases and we're missing things on the bases that we can't to be an elite team. And as probably the least surprising thing in this 2019 season that has been it for the Chicago Cubs, the starting lineups are out for your Cubs today. And Addison Russell not in the starting lineup. Instead, Robel Garcia gets the start at second base. And Addison Russell, don't know if he'll get the full day off, but he will at least start the day sitting on the bench. Full lineup goes like this as they take eyes, uh, they as they line up behind Kyle Hendricks, who gets the ball in this one on getaway day, wrapping up a nine-game homestand. One through three, it goes Schwarber in left field, Baez at short, Bryant swinging the hot bat at third, then Rizzo. At first base, Robel Garcia hitting fifth, playing second. Jason Hayward looks to stay hot. He starts in right field and bats sixth. Then seven through nine, a lot of outs seemingly to be had here. Almora starts in center field, bats seventh. It's Martin Maldonado catching and batting eighth. And Kyle Hendricks wraps it up in the order today as he hits ninth and pitches. But very unsurprising of what you see with Addison Russell of... Him getting the day off after just a pitiful showing yesterday. I mean, like like Madden said, it's one thing when you lose a ball in the sun. It's one thing when you lose two balls in the sun. It happens. You don't like to see it, but it happens on it, and you can kind of forgive it. And it wasn't like he was the only guy the last two days that have been having some issues there with the sun at Wrigley Field, specifically on that side of the field. However, when you're making outs on the base paths, if it's like a one-time thing, okay, fine. If it's a regular occurrence, trying to be too aggressive and you're running into outs because of it, it's great when it works, but it's not just as simple as, oh, it's great when it works, so always be aggressive, always this. There's some guys that that fits better for. The baseball instincts fit better for. Read on the ball fits better for. Like when Javier Baez runs bases, I 99 times out of 100, I trust his judgment on, okay, saw that the second baseman was taking a certain angle, didn't think that the second baseman was going to get there, and so instead he's off and running and trying to take the extra base or trying to score on what a on a play that normally he wouldn't score on. I don't trust that when Addison Russell's on the base paths. Heck, I don't trust that with a lot of Cubs on the base paths. You've seen Anthony Rizzo have some trouble in base running so far this year. You've seen Wilson Contreras, while he was healthy, have some issues and some base running issues this year as well. Joe Madden's exactly right. This is a team that, in terms of what they've done on the base paths this year, they have struggled, and they have struggled mightily at times. And usually when you think of this team, 
yeah, you think of the home runs, you think of a long order with a lot of guys that can not just hit for or get on base a lot, but also hit for a lot of power. But you think a lot of the fundamental things as well that they do so well. And that so much hasn't been the case specifically in terms of base running. Like, whose would you look at and, and for the most part, give a passing grade to or a good grade to? Chris Bryant, usually. Not to say that he hasn't had some lapses at times this year on the base pass, but for the most part, he's about as good a base runner as you're going to find on this team. Baez, obviously, is the name that I mentioned already. Otherwise, I would have said him. And then it's a pretty significant drop-off. Maybe Hayward. I guess Hayward probably deserves to be in that conversation, too. Maybe not quite on the same level as a Bryant but or Baez, but still a you, you take your... You take what you get with Hayward, and you're more than happy with it. But just instinctually, a lot of the things that are happening on the base pass with this team, and sometimes out of the batter's box, like Albert Almora the other night in the game against the Reds, I think it was a game against the Reds where he doesn't run out of the box, and he should have been on first base, and the Cubs should have been threatened to put up more runs, and instead he gets thrown out because he's just standing in the batter's box watching. Like That's happened a ton of times this year for a team that, when when Joe Madden first got here, all over the place, it was Respect 90, Respect 90, T-shirts made with Respect 90 on it, Respect 90 being written on the, I don't know if it was a wall at Wrigley Field that led to the field, or if it was at, at their spring training venue down at Sloan Park in Mesa, Arizona, but they had this huge write-up of respecting 90 and how important it is to run hard to first base, no matter if you hit a ball for a home run, if you popped up, if you ground a ball to the second baseman, Respect 90, run hard for a team that said this and used that as a talking line for so long a lot of cases you can point to this year where that has not so much been what has played out and yet there's been no punishment to most of it Joe Madden said the other day um, after the game after Elmora's incident that he had a couple of his assistants go and talk to Elmora about that doesn't think that it's going to be an issue for any time to come but it's not like that's the first time it's happened this year. Was he only spoken to because he's Albert Elmora and he's not one of the stars of your team? I mean, it's been a fairly too regular, at least, of occurrence, these outs on the base paths and kind of mental lapses with this team. And I guess the good news with all that is, with all that in consideration and with how odd and out of place this team has looked at times, they still start off the 21st of July in 2019 in first place by three games in the National League Central, They've won seven of eight out of the All-Star break. Kyle Hendricks going today at home means you have a great chance of making it eight out of nine before you pack your bags and head to San Francisco, Milwaukee, and St. Louis on this next coming up road trip. But it is still a long way from being, like they're at that level where it's okay, they look like they're probably the best team in the NL Central, but it doesn't look like it's a clean enough brand of baseball, at least at this point still, to be considered for a realistic threat to be raising another pennant. And, and that's it's not to say that can't change. It's just the way that if you've watched this team with regularity, that's the way that you've seen them through 98 games so far this year. 312-644-6767, the telephone number to call. If you'd like to chime in on that conversation, the Cubs and the cleansiness of their games so far and their style of play and their play so far this season... The British Open going on right now, in case you're curious of what's going on there. Shane Lowry running away with this thing. He's through 12 holes today, 15 under pars where he sits. Tommy Fleetwood's the only one that's within even shouting distance of him. He's in second place at 11 under par. 
and then a few guys bunched together at seven under par. But it looks like we're about six holes away from Shane Lowry becoming your British Open champion. Coverage of that brought to you by the BMW Championship at Medina Country Club, August 13th through August 18th, 2019. Visit BMWChampionship.com. And the bottom of the hour was brought to you by Northwestern Football. Join Coach Fitz and the Big Ten West Division champions at Ryan Field this fall when they host Ohio State, Iowa, and more. Season and single-game tickets on sale now. NUSports.com. It's Nick Shepkowski with you up until 12.45 today. Talking a lot of Cubs, talking a lot of baseball here on Hit and Run as I'm in for Matt Spiegel. We're broadcasting live from Smoke Daddy. If you're coming down to the ballpark today, check us out. 3636 North Clark. Stop by, say hello. We're out here all courtesy of Comcast this morning into the early parts of this afternoon. On Hit and Run on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 